Amen. Man, what a great worship time that was. Amen. I mean, you had the celebration, the meditation. You just had it. Oh, thanks. Appreciate it. Had it all there. And um, as we open up God's Word, I just feel like that your heart's prepared to hear what God has to say to you today as we just reach out to God and say, okay, God, speak to us as the song just uh, admonished us to do. Well, or admonished, um, uh, asked God to do. The power of prayer is what we're going to be looking at this morning. Been a series of messages on maximum impact and uh, seizing the four sources of God's power. And uh, I shared these with the first hour, by the way, and uh, I, I've discovered that at best I'm going to get a courtesy laugh here for these things. But nevertheless, they, they work into the message, so I, I don't want to leave them out. There's, a, there's something going on today in surgery, and I don't, I don't even know if they're really doing it or not. I'm just hearing about it, that you can actually have, uh, you know, maybe a block done to your body and stay awake during your surgery. Now, who would want to really do that? I, I don't know. But here's some of the things that you don't want to you don't want to hear from the doctors while you're sitting there helpless and you you've got nothing to do. Well, here's here's the thing. Uh, <clears throat> you don't want to hear the doctor say, "Better save that. We'll need that for the autopsy." <clears throat> Wait. If that's the spleen, what's that thing over there? You know, there's big money in kidneys, and this guy has two of them. Travis, bad dog, come back with that. <laughs> Ooh, that's, that's a bad one. Instruments hit the floor, and the doc, one doctor tells the other one, oh, just go ahead and pick them up. I mean, the floor is clean, right? And the last thing you don't want to hear is, wow, page 47 of the manual is missing. And so... As you're laying there, you can imagine you're laying there and you're hearing all this is going on in, uh, in your surgery and you feel really helpless. Well, from a spiritual point of view, many of us feel helpless in that way. We feel like that God is an awesome God. We feel like God can do anything that he wants to do when he wants to do it within his perfections, as we've said before. We understand the resurrection power that we talked about a couple of weeks ago during Easter and we really get the fact the Holy Spirit lives within us, but we're still not seeing how we can really tap on that into that resource of God's power and make it relevant and every day to our life. There are people that hear them in praying for a brother, a sister, a son, daughter, mother, father for a long time, and it just seems like that prayer is never going to be answered. In fact, sometimes it looks like it's getting worse until instead of better. Some of you are praying about school, others about finances, others about, others about a job, and it just seems like it never really seems to get answered. And in spite of the fact that Jeremiah 33, 3 tells us this, call unto me, God says, <clears throat> and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. But most of us kind of feel like maybe Job, where he said, I cry to you for help, God, and you do nothing and you do not answer. I stand, and you only look at me. And maybe that's how you're kind of feeling this morning. You don't want to admit that because it sounds so unspiritual, but you feel like you ask God and ask God, and all he's doing is kind of looking at you like, what? What, what, do, you, what do you mean? I mean, I'm not going to intervene in that. And you wonder, where is God's hand in all this? How can we tap in on the power source of God? Well, even in Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul explains about the spirit-filled life, and then he begins to explain about the armor of God, 
that we put on to protect ourselves against the devil. Here's what he says at the end of that. He concludes it. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And so even in spiritual warfare, he ends up and he says, how do you apply this? You do it through prayer. How do you apply the Spirit-filled life? You do it through prayer. And so how do we do that today? Well, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus gives us a sample prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer. But what goes on before it and what goes on after it is really the key to understanding how we can tap in on God's, uh, God's power through this thing we call prayer, just simply, which is talking to God and God talking to us. I want to look at four things this morning. What, first of all, who we have, and secondly, what we do. Thirdly, what we want, very important, and then who we believe. Are we really going to believe it all, and how do we do that? Well, let's look at chapter 11, verse 1, and then we're going to be looking back into the previous passage to put it in context. And we're going to do this by looking at the story of Mary and Martha in just a few moments. But now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now notice what's happening here. Jesus in his life has gone off to a quiet place. Then he's probably prayed many, many, many times with the disciples, and they were just saying, Lord, teach us to pray. Just like you. You would like God to teach you to pray. God, what is it about prayer? What can I do to really tap in on the power source of God? And he says this as he gives them a model. He says, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come. He's addressing now the Father. He says the focus needs to be on God. It needs to be a God-centered prayer. This is coming right out of what just happened in Mark chapter, or Luke chapter 10, in verse 38. Very short passage, so let's just look at it. And very, pretty, pretty prominent, pretty famous passage as well. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And this was Bethany, by the way. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which which will not be taken from her. Now notice something here about this. Martha was requesting something. Here we find that our our father, as he's addressing us, and then what's coming out of this is Mary is worshiping the Lord. Now, I believe one of the reasons why God keeps coming back to the fact he says, call me father, call me father, is there's no kind of relationship that we have on the human level that's quite like having a parent with a child. For example, if your child comes in, your four-year-old, comes in at two o'clock in the morning, and says, uh, uh, Daddy, give me a drink of water. What are you going to do? You're going to get, well, you might tell your wife to do it, but, you know, ask your wife to do it. But basically, you're going to get up. One of you are going to get up, drudge your way to the refrigerator, get out the cold water, and pour a glass of water. All right, right? Sure. Now, what if your spouse turns over in bed and says, Honey, uh, 2 o'clock in the morning, Honey, would you get me a glass of water? What are you going to say then? Get it yourself. Exactly. Because even though the marriage relationship is so precious in Scripture, there's nothing like having a father, a mother. There's no relationship like it. In fact, young people will go 
to their parents shamelessly, as one writer put it, shamelessly. In other words, they'll just keep on asking. They'll just keep on pestering. When they get a little bit older, they'll start maybe manipulating, doing power things, you know, silent treatment, whatever they can do to get their way. Now, when they get older, they will never do that to a boss, I wouldn't think. No, because the parent-child relationship is such a way that you can come shamelessly before the Lord. And that's what, by the way, Martha was doing. Think about it for just a moment. You have the Son of God in your house, the same Son of God that would uh, raise her brother from the dead, who preached about the resurrection. And she's there fixing a meal for him, and she was serving. Nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, Mary was probably serving as well, but she stopped her serving to do the worshiping. Martha did not stop that, and Jesus wanted, wanted uh, her attention a lot more than he wanted a seven-course meal. But she was requesting shamelessly before the Lord. She said, Lord, he says, but Martha distracted with, with much serving. She said to him, Lord, <clears throat> do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Now, you've done that before. I've done that before. I've gone, gone to God. God, don't you even care? Now, what am I telling God at that point? God, you're about to be manipulated, you know, in some way. That's what we're saying, really. God, don't you even care about me? Don't you even care that I'm, I'm down here all alone? Don't you care that I don't have anyone? Don't you care that I don't have a job? Don't you? Yes, he cares. You know he cares. But you're getting his attention a little bit, and, and you're trying at least to talk him into something, and that's just not how you pray. But here Martha is making a request, and he says, she says, tell her then to help me. That's her prayer. What's his response? Martha, Martha, Martha. You're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. What's what's he saying? No. The the answer to your prayer, Martha, is no. Now, this is a prayer. This is a request. It's just when we ask uh, God for something in our life, it's just as though Martha is turning to Jesus and saying, Jesus, would would you make Mary do right? Would you make her serve along with me. And he looks and says in a nice way, but this is basically what he's saying. No, that's, that's just not, I'm not going to answer that prayer. You see, sometimes, even though we come shamelessly before God, the answer to prayer is not the best thing for us. What did we say the all-powerfulness of God's all about? We said God can do anything he wants, when he wants to do it, within his perfections. And God is not going to answer something outside of what he desires for you and your place and my place in the world and going to do us a lot of harm. He's not going to answer that prayer because it's not according to his perfections. Everything that we do, I believe, I really believe, has a rippling effect in society. Just like when you take a rock and skip it upon a lake and it begins to to ripple from uh, maybe many, many yards out. What we do in life, the decisions that we make, and what God does in our life is going to make a profound difference in the lives of a lot of different people. So he does things according to his perfection. We look at this, and we understand that Jesus just simply said no. But I want you to notice what's going on here with Mary. Mary's recognizing something that nobody else is recognizing. She's recognizing, and and she's very much in tune to listening to the Lord. And she understands who he is. Maybe nobody else at this time really understands who he really is, but she gets it. 
And she's going to take the opportunity that she has to worship the Lord. Now, who do you have? Who do we have? The Bible says that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He rose again on the third day. Then he said, it's, it's important, it's crucial, he says, that I ascend up into heaven, that I would send my Holy Spirit down to this earth to indwell you. And as he said, even put it this way, I'm going to send you another comforter. Who do we have? The Bible calls him the Spirit of Christ. If we can look ahead in verse 13. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to him who asks him? God gives you the Holy Spirit of God. And so who do we have? We have the Spirit of God. We've said before that uh, last week, he's there to bring us the fruit of the Spirit in our life, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, self-control. He's there to bring commitment in our life. He's there to persuade us, to draw us to repentance even before we're saved. He's there to convict us of sin in our life, to empower us in the Christian life. He's there to make us more like Jesus Christ every day. There's the power of the Holy Spirit within us and yet, as we talk to God, as we converse with God, as he speaks to us, we tap in on that power source of the Holy Spirit. So let's see how, what we need to do. What do we need to do? We have the Holy Spirit, just like Mary had Jesus to worship. We have the Spirit of Christ living within us. And the Bible tells us, therefore, we're one with Christ. Therefore, we have a position of being already as good as, as like sitting at the throne with Jesus in heaven. That's our position in Christ. That's just who we are. We are believers. We are Christ followers indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So what do we do? What do we do? We, we ask. That's what prayer is. Asking and receiving. We ask. The nine, R.A. Torrey once said, the nine saddest words in the Bible are these in James 4.2. You do not have because... You do not ask. Now, let's look at this, uh, the Lord's Prayer. He's praying that the kingdom will come. And in the, uh, another, another passage in Matthew, when he's talking about the Sermon on the Mount, he says, thy kingdom come, thy will, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so he's praying here for the kingdom, and that is the rulership of God in the life of, of believers and in the life of the world. Then he says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins. That's very practical, isn't it? I mean, after all, don't you want nourishment for the day? Do, not, do you not want to provide for your family? And then it's practical in, in forgiveness. He said, because we, we sin uh, pretty consistently. I don't want to say, oh, we sin every day. I mean, that, I'm sure that's true, but I've just heard that all my life. Just kind of tired of that phrase. So we sin consistently. Therefore, we need forgiveness. And then he says, lead us not into temptation. Very practical. All of us are led into temptation all the time. We fight against that all the time. You see, the prayers that we are praying here are very, very relevant to our life. And they're relevant to a point where over and over and over again, in spite of the fact that Martha's prayer answer was no, and that's, a, that's an answer, it's no, there are many yes answers in the Bible as well. A tremendous amount of them. Old Testament, New Testament, we learn from this. And so, why don't we do it? Jesus said, look, I'm, I'm going to go up into heaven. I'm going to send you another comforter. He's going to be in your heart. 
And then he, he promises in the Old Testament, call to me and I will answer you and show you the great and mighty things that you don't even know about. John 14, Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Wow. Now, in his name means the stamp of approval. Anytime you sign your name to a contract, you're signing to some, you, you're supposed to have read it, by the way. You read it, and then you sign it, saying that you stand behind that. Every prayer that you pray that he stands behind, he will do it. So why don't we do it? Well, one of the reasons is, is doubt. And the disciples, I believe, were saying, Lord, teach us to pray, because our prayers aren't really working that much. You know, they're, they're not really effective. So teach us how to do it because of doubt in our life. We, don't, we just don't get immediate answers. Let's face it. We are an impatient society, and I, I kind of lead the way in that sometimes. I'd rather, I was taking a trip. I got off the expressway because of this backing up of traffic for hours and hours. I just got off. I just, I'd just rather just go ahead and get an early dinner and just uh, eat at this fast food place and sit there until the traffic dies. We, we are constantly... Um, bothered by not getting immediate answers to prayer. How many of you have ever played the, the game Pac-Man? Anybody here besides me? Oh, yeah, a lot of you. You know why that game became so popular? Because you get immediate feedback. If you've ever played it, you, you either get immediate points or immediately you get eaten. And after about two or three times, you die. I mean, it's an immediate thing. Unlike other things that you may do, if you play chess or something that's a little slower, but if you play chess with somebody really good, then it could be really, really slow. You know, golf can be, you know, if you, have you ever watched golf on Sunday afternoons and, and napped? You know, <laughs> I have, and I tell you, one of the reasons why I, I find, find golf so interesting to watch is because the camera goes from one hole to the other. I mean, you're, they're always jumping around, but boy, these match play things, and you get on Sunday afternoon, there's only two guys playing. And the commentators just talk the whole time. And every once in a while, they'll, they'll hit a shot. I mean, boring. I want, I want action, action right now. That's why college football is so popular. There's always action going to college basketball, same way. Just, just action, action. We want to do, see something happen. And in our prayer life, sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, as in Martha's case, that's something better. Or wait. And wait is not a no answer. Wait is just you're going to have to be patient. And that's the problem. Sometimes our lack of prayer is not about lack of faith. It's a lack of patience in our life. There's another reason. It's hard work. It's hard, hard, prayer is hard work. You, you get down and, and pray before God. You're used to having a conversation. And all we do is talk. We talk, we talk, we talk. We never listen to what God has to say to us. We never take the Bible and read it. We never ask God, God, would you tell me what your will is in this situation? Would you speak to me? And so it becomes kind of, it's hard work to pray. And you're praying, and you're praying, and you're praying, and you feel like, well, God, I know, I'm just by faith, I know you're listening, but I, I don't sense maybe that you're listening. Another is no answers. The no answer. You know, no well, that's not what I wanted to hear, so that must, must not be an answer at all. No, we, we do that, don't we? Am I right? It's like the old story of the little boy going up to, uh, 
his, um, his mom and says, Mom, can I have a cookie before supper? And what do you think her answer was? No. no. Thank you very much. It was no. And so he runs upstairs all upset about it. And his brother asked him, he said, well, what, what did you do? And he said, well, I asked Mama for a cookie before, before dinner. What'd she say? Oh, she didn't say anything. No, she said no. And sometimes God's answer to prayer is no. And you say, well, why don't he just answer all my prayers? Now, you think about it for just a moment. I know this is a silly example, but you wouldn't believe how many guys at least pray about football games, college football games. I mean, they just do. They wouldn't admit it for the world, but they do. Now, you've got a bunch of fans at UCF, and they're praying that we're going to beat USF this fall, and the USF fans pray that they're going to beat the US, U, UCF football team this fall in their big rivalry. How's God going to answer that prayer? <laughs> two different things, praying for the same, two, two different outcomes. And everybody praying to win, I don't know, the lottery? How's that going to be? You know, you win 50 cents? There's so many things. Somebody praying for rain, the farmer's praying for rain. And we've got a picnic this afternoon. And God, we take precedent over the farmer because we're a church and, and we don't want the rain. So he answers our prayer, and the farmer, his crops die. So I, I, all I'm saying is, God is all-powerful. He can do anything he wants, when he wants to do it, within his perfections. And so we have no answers. We have spiritual warfare going on. Discouraged. Man, it's discouraging. And that's what Martha was, she was all stressed out. Why? Because she didn't have control over the situation. Uh, many people are kind of control people. In fact, a lot of us probably are. Some people do it by domination. Some people by manipulation. Some people by uh, persuasion. But we all sort of want to control things. And we can't control things. Things become very, very stressful in our life. And sometimes it's just playing out spiritual warfare. And it's hard. And then, here's the number one reason, a little drum roll here, um, Number one reason why we don't pray is because God is going to bless us anyway. That's it. You take somebody over in a refugee camp, Christian in a refugee camp overseas, they're praying, they're praying, God, give, give me daily bread. God, give me this. God, you've got you've to save me and save my family. The farmer used to pray for rain because his crops would die. And we pray and our daily bread, but guess what? You're going to get paid in two weeks. You know, guess what? You know, you're going to have a car to drive. You're going to have a home to live in. You're going to have something in the refrigerator unless it's a prolonged thing with a hurricane. It's going to, it's going to be there. And so God is blessing us anyway. And so the tendency is, is just not have the need, not have the desire in our life. But there's some things that God is not going to give us unless we ask the great and mighty things. But it comes down to your need. What do you want God to do? What do you want him to do? I love the story about mind Bartimaeus. And uh, Jesus was going along with the crowd, and the crowd was rushing all over him, and the disciples were trying to get him through the crowd. And this one blind man yells out and says, Lord, have mercy upon me. 
And they, Jesus didn't stop, so I guess the disciples felt, rightfully so, well, he's not really interested in talking to this guy. And so he says, be quiet, be quiet, don't bother the master. He said, and he cried the more. The Bible says he, he yelled louder. He cried out more. And Jesus stopped and healed him. He wanted something, and he wanted it really, really bad. And so how bad do you want it? One of the things about a wait answer, that's exactly what it's doing to us. It's helping us want it more. Look in verse 5. And he said to them, which one of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and have, has nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children, my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Jesus said, though he will not get up and give him anything because of his friend, yet because of his impudence or his importunity or persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, if, when, as we read the rest of the story, you're going to understand that it's not that God is like the friend and will only give you something if you're pestering to death. He's saying, look, your friend is your friend, and he, they probably love you, but they're still not going to get up in the middle of the night to help you out unless you just kind of dog them a little bit. God is much greater than your friend. He loves you far more than your friend. But notice, the idea is here, I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying because I want it. I, I want it bad. I, I want to have bold, shameless prayer before my Father. I want to say, God, I want this. I want this so bad. I, I just have to keep praying and keep praying. It's like praying for your sister, for her salvation, praying for your aunt, your uncle, your mom, your dad, your, your son, your daughter. And you think, wow, you know, come to think of it, as I'm hearing this sermon on prayer, I guess I haven't prayed for my sister's salvation in probably months. How bad do you want it? How much desire is build, building in your heart because God says you just need to simply to wait in this shameless prayer. Persistence clarifies my desires. The Bible says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Mary was someone who was delighting herself in the Lord. And she received the desires of her heart. What desire was it? She wanted to know Christ. That's it. That's all she wanted. She wanted to, to listen. And she was the only one listening. Now, the rest of the disciples heard that he would have to go to the cross. But they didn't listen. Mary was really the first person in the Bible who understood the gospel. How do you know that? John chapter 12, we come back to this same house in Bethany, and she breaks a vial of perfume, 11 months' wages it was worth. 11 months' wages. And she broke the vase, poured the perfume over the feet of Jesus, and wiped, wiped his feet with her hair. And the disciples said, I can't believe you're doing that. Look at all the money you're wasting. We could give it to the poor. And Jesus said, hey, don't stop her. She is anointing me for my burial, which was ceremonial, which you always did after the person was dead. But Jesus knew, and maybe Mary knew, 
that by the time they came to anoint Jesus for burial, what would have happened? He wasn't there. He would have been risen from the dead. She was the only one that got it, the only one that understood it. Why? Because more than anything else, she just wanted to delight herself in the Lord and know Christ. And because of that, God gave her all kinds of other things as well. In fact, we remember Mary for the rest of eternity because of what she did and what Jesus Christ meant to her. How bad do you want it? How, how much are you praying for that lost loved one? How much are you praying for that career change, that job? How bad do you want it? And she says, look, pastor, I want it, but every time I pray, I just feel like I'm hitting a stone wall, and it's just like Job was saying. And, and then somebody else comes along and says, well, it must be not be God's will. You know, pull them the God's will card. Don't you hate that? I mean, let's just be honest. I, I was grow, when I grew up in a church, and I grew up in a wonderful little church, and country church, and every time somebody would pray, they would tag on. I mean, you couldn't believe some of the prayers they would pray. God heal this person. God do this. God. But at the end of the prayer, they'd always have a little tagline. If it be thy will. Couldn't be your will because it's King James, you know, King James language. Biblical. If it be thy will. And they're taking their prayers off the hook. God, I'm boldly praying, but only if it's your will. Only if it's your will. You know the old God's will card. Well, it must not be God's will. Here's what God says. 1 John 5. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. All powerfulness. God can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, within his perfection. So what do we do? What do we do when we don't know the will of God? Years ago, <clears throat> when I was, uh, I was 22 years old, I've shared this story and uh, a couple of books that I've written, I've always also shared this with you in the pulpit. But I was uh, healed of being a diabetic, and I did that through prayer. But here's the key. I knew what God wanted. I was praying that night, and I was praying, and pray I was just having a great prayer time. It's just one of those times. And God laid it on my heart, I don't want you to be a diabetic. Already been diagnosed. And he laid it on my heart, and I said, well, okay, God, you don't want it. I don't want it either. And so I prayed, and I was confident that God had answered that prayer. Super confident. I mean, as confident as I was that the doctor just, just told me. But how, why was I confident? Because I knew what God wanted. And so he gives us instruction here. He said, and I will tell you, Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Promise. There's no conditions there. Why is there no conditions? Because you ask when you know the will of God, when you've had a conversation with God, and you've actually had a two-way prayer time and not a one-way prayer time, and he's spoken to you, and he's laid it on your heart, something that you need to pray for. When that happens, you pray for it, it's as good as done. Automatic. It's the will of God. Now, he says, when you don't know, you seek. That's what he says here. Seek, and you will find. You don't know the will of God, you seek the will of God. Your prayer time ought to be dominated in some senses by God, would you lay it on my heart? Well, God, what do you want? What? God, what do you want? Well, God, what do you want? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to pray? And then he says, knock, and it shall be open to you. 
When do you knock? When you don't know the will of God and you're going to pray anyway. God says pray without ceasing. He says pray, all, pray constantly, consistently. And we don't always know the will of God. There have been more times in my life, many, many, many more times, that I prayed not knowing the will of God than when I knew the will of God. What do you do? Delight yourself in the Lord. The Bible says he will give you the desires of your heart. So you pray. What's the worst thing that can happen? No. There's nothing wrong with a no answer because no is always something better. Probably at that point, since you don't know the will of God, it's going to be wait, especially on the big stuff. It's going to be wait. I'm doing something in your life. I'm doing something in their life, the person you're praying for, the situation that you're praying about, and you wait. Otherwise, what we're, what we're saying is, what, God's a genie. You rub a lamp, and he comes out. You give him anything you want. And, you know, if you know, this, this team wins, and, oh, no, this team, uh, you know, kind of won, didn't win. I mean, everybody would have to play like our, our little children, you know, with, with the upward basketball, not keep score. And one prayer is answered here, but oh, it's how confusing that, that would be. If everybody's prayers were answered with a yes, no. Sometimes it's no. It's not within God's perfections. God's not going to let anything happen to your life or my life that is outside of his will, outside of his perfections. Because with that, it's not only bad for you, but bad for everyone that you'll ever come in contact with. And so we ask we seek, we knock. Then he gives another parable. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, meaning the fact that he says we're evil, we're sinners separated from God. He's talking about the crowd here. And we have an evil heart. The Bible says it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so the Holy Spirit's job is to change us over to the image of his son, away from the evil heart, but here he's saying, we have an evil heart, know how to give good gifts to your children, and you do. How much more will your heavenly Father give to you? He talks about the Holy Spirit and everything that comes with it. So, listen, our God's a giving God. People say, yeah, but that, that God's will thing, it's sort of, got, you know, if God could just give me a thimble full of water just to make it through the week, I'd be satisfied. That's the problem. We want a thimble full of water, and God wants to open up this fire hose on us, and we're so blessed that it comes to the overflowing. You know, one of the great illustrations about this in the Bible is in John chapter 6. In fact, it's in all four Gospels, the only miracle that's, uh, that's located in all four Gospels, and that is the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus took the loaves and the fish, and he broke it. What are we saying here? Hey, look, I'm the bread of life. That's what he said. I'm the bread of life. In the Old Testament, if you remember, bread actually fell out of heaven. It was called manna. This bread fell out of heaven uh, during the night, and the Israelites went out and collected the bread, but they can only collect enough for the day, just the day. That's all. In fact, if they collected any more, it would rot the next day in their tent. They had to collect it every single day, just sufficient enough for the day. But Jesus took these loaves. He began to break them. They began to multiply all throughout the crowd, feeding, as it were, about 15,000, 20,000 people, really total. And the Bible says there were 12 baskets full left over. He says, look, the Old Testament stuff was just enough to get by. 
He says, I want to bless you with abundance, abundance of life. And he comes through. I'm a product of God coming through. I share my testimony in dinner with the pastor, but one part I don't share because I just don't have time to do all that is um, I had a second, first and second grade teacher. My second grade teacher um, in school was also my second grade Sunday school teacher, same one, small town, Mrs. McElroy. And she, she's the first one, my first and second grade teacher, I just actually taught a scripture to memorize in school. He said, man, you must be ancient. Yeah, kind of there. And, uh, and so they taught us in school. But she's also a, my Sunday school teacher. And then I graduated third grade and forgot all about her. I mean, she was there in church. She always spoke to me. And that's about it. Well, all these years, I found out about the gospel. And for four years, I struggled with it big time. It's like I didn't want it. I, I just I didn't want to turn my life over to God. I didn't want that. I didn't know what that was all about. It was kind of the unknown for me. And didn't know whether I wanted to kind of follow along in the footsteps of some of the people I knew that were Christians. And so I kept praying, and I mean, I kept going to church, kept going to church. I got under such conviction one, one night that all by myself, I gave my heart to Jesus. And um, a couple of months later, I walked forward in a service, made a profession of faith. And I'm up there, and I just got to tell you, my, my best friend was the pastor's kid. And I just thought everybody in the church, because I've been going there for 10 years, I just thought everybody in the church thought I was already saved, already a Christian. Much to my surprise, people were coming by congratulating me. People said, I've been, I've been, I've been praying for you. Well, my second grade Sunday school teacher came up to me with tears in her eyes, and she said, I've been praying for you for nine years. And boy, it all made sense. I just couldn't get away from it. I just, I could, I wanted to, I could not get away from the Lord. He was just always there. Dog in my trail, you might say, but always there. She, her prayer was answered after nine years. How long is it going to take for your prayer? I don't know. I think if it had been answered any sooner, it wouldn't have had the same impact on my life. It just wouldn't have because it was so long and such a struggle for so long. I was 16. I got saved. My life never been the same since. Big change. What about you today? What do you want God to do? What do you want? What's the desire of your heart? If there was one thing that God could do in your life, between now and the end of the year. And I'm not trying to put a timetable on God, but let's just make that the prayer. If there was one thing that you would want God to do in your life or in someone else's life between now and the end of the year, what would it be? What is your one thing? What is your one desire that you really, really want in your life? And then I'll ask you, are you willing to ask and to seek and to keep on knocking until you get it. With heads bowed and eyes closed, this morning, first of all, you may be sitting here this morning, and you may be the potential of someone's answer to prayer. They've been praying for you maybe for a long time. You don't even know it. Just like I didn't know it. But you, didn't even, you don't even know who's all praying for you. But you feel it. You sense it. And today you want to give your heart to Jesus Christ.
Let me pray with you right now. Let me give you that opportunity to pray, to ask Jesus to come into your heart by praying this prayer with me silently as I pray aloud. Lord God, thank you so much for loving me. Thank you for being so patient with me. Thank you for the prayers that have been sent up for me. I confess my sin to you. I open up my heart and I ask you to come in. Forgive me of all my sin and help me, help me to follow you in my life. I want you in my life more than anything else I want. And I want you now. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.